Welcome to Los Peleneros Podcast Thingy. I am your host, Bobby, and we hope that during these trying times, you're staying happy and healthy. It is our goal that these podcasts provide a little light in your lives, just as they do for us. Please enjoy, take care, and be safe. In this episode, we return to the collector circle to share some stories of intrigue, triumph, and most importantly, games. I'm joined again by Frank sharing his love of Doom, while we are joined by a fresh new face, George, showing great restraint in his passion for the fighting game series Blaz Blue. Bla- Blaze Blue? Blah Blue. Blah Blaz Blue. Yeah, I'm, I'll stick with that, Blaz Blue, I think. You know what? Not even George knows for sure. My contribution to this episode is my collection of Metroid games, a series that is responsible for igniting my love of gaming, specifically with Metroid 2 Return of Samus on the Game Boy, a game remade for the 3DS as Metroid Samus Returns. Oh, and some uh, shameless self-promotion. I recently posted an unboxing video of the European Collector's Edition on my YouTube channel, so check it out. With all that being said, please enjoy the mindless banter, and I'll be back after the show. All right, everyone, welcome to the Los Peleoneros podcast thingy. This is episode, uh, what are we at? Number four, right? This is episode four, guys? Yes, sir. This is episode four. All right, so absolutely. in episode four today, we have a few people in here. I'll let them introduce themselves. If We'll start with you, Frank. All right, uh, I'm Frank. I'm going to be talking about Doom today, and yeah. George? Okay, my name is George Bernard. Uh, I'm going to be talking about Blaze Blue today. And then we also have a couple guests listening in. Uh, first, we got James. Hello. You guys remember James was in our uh, one our, our Resident Evil episode. And then and uh, Sonic. And, oh, that's right. He was in the Sonic episode as well. Uh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, James. I dropped that one. No, you're good. <laughs> and then uh, we got our buddy Gino listening in, but uh, he may be quiet on this one. He may just be listening and piping in every now and again. Uh, George is new to our podcast. We've talked about him in several of our previous podcasts, but this is oh, his first several. time actually joining us. Ooh, I feel famous already. No, he it. said few, not several. No, he said several. What? Are we doing, uh, are we doing this again? <laughs> <laughs> and then I'm your host, Bobby. I will be covering the my Metroid collection today. Uh, but first off, we're going to start off with George and his Blas Blue connection, uh, a collection. And the first question we're going to ask him is, why, why, George? Why would you ever select Blas Blue as your collection choice? Okay, so Blas Blue, Blaze Blue, but a blue is 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 just one of the many ways that you can refer to this uh, uh, IP series intellectual property. Um, it's a fighting game, of course. Uh, at the beginning, I was really not all that interested in fighting games at all whatsoever. Uh, it wasn't until really I met you guys when I really started to be interested in, 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 in fighting games and the ways that you can play it and become good at them. So to be honest, back when I was uh, first starting out with fighting games, I, I, I saw all the options that were available. And, and, and back then, I think it was 2012, uh blaze blue had come out with uh its newest uh edition and i was like wow uh this is great let, let me let me try playing this and and what was it frank was it continuum shift extend the first one that we played together yeah that was the one yeah it was it was continuum shift extend 
and uh, I decided that this fighting game was the was the fighting game that I really wanted to play. So um, once I really started to get into the lore and everything of it, I decided that I really enjoyed this franchise altogether. Uh, the story is a little bit confusing, and I can understand if a lot of people don't understand what's going on because uh, the the creator is honestly pretty pretty unhinged, an unhinged man who who keeps doing resets on the story, and it's 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 not something that that the average layman would be able to follow, right? Um. Other than that, I think the gameplay is fantastic. Uh, ever since uh. Continuum Shift Extend, which was the first one that we played together, uh, it's just been improving iteration after iteration, and uh, I really feel like it's earned its place in the pantheon of fighting games that just are kind of essential for your average fighting game community fan to know. Uh, if you want to know, you know, a rough overall overview of uh, of of the fighting game community. Well, yep. of, of all the Arc System Works fighting games, it probably is the most stable in the fighting community, right? Oh, yeah. It, it, I think it has the most uh, devoted fans. It, it, along with Guilty Gear, honestly. I think it and Guilty Gear both have a very, uh, very devoted, very uh, dedicated fan base that will keep the games alive for long after the official developers have stopped uh, supporting it. Because that's just the way the communities are. Um, I mean, before uh, the announcement of Guilty Gear Strive, everybody thought that the Guilty Gear series was going enter, to enter into a hiatus. But everybody was perfectly uh, comfortable with supporting uh, the state of Guilty Gear as it was when they thought that it was going to enter that, that stasis, as opposed to, you know, expecting new updates every now and then. So it was the same with the with the Blazeful series. I think a lot of, of uh, fans of the series are okay with this relative hiatus of uh, updates and new content. While uh, we see Arxis work in their in their other series. See, I find it interesting that it's it's our group that helped influence you into this game series. Because for those of you listeners who haven't listened to our introductory uh, audio. Uh, our group got started because of our love of fighting games, but more specifically in regards to really Street Fighter. I know Frank, Gino, and I are huge fans of the Street Fighter series overall, but uh, the Arc System Works games are, are are completely different beasts when it comes to fighting game. Oh yeah, absolutely. And in 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 overall, I hate Street Fighter. I think you guys are crazy <laughs> for liking it as much as you do. Street Fighter is a whack ass series with whack ass people that play it. So I'm not I'm not super fond of it. But I no. mean I'm super fond of you guys. And you guys play it, so that's why I'm okay with it. Yeah, which is really funny because for the Street Fighter series, what, what let's see, what, what what do you have, George? You have third strike, don't don't you? Uh-huh. Third Strike, you have Ultra Street Fighter 4. Yes, I do. And you have Street Fighter 5. But is it, is I, it made or Champion Edition? No, it, it's Champion Edition. I, I bought Champion Edition. Uh, full price, actually. $29.99 uh, when, when, when the update came out for, for Steam. <laughs> 
Yep. So yeah, I've spent a lot of money on on a series okay. of games that I don't really like at all whatsoever. Uh, be- I'll play it because you guys play it. You guys. Yeah, enjoy I was gonna say, it. but because you love us, yeah. you buy those games <laughs> to enjoy them with us. Yeah, of course. Hey, to <laughs> be fair, to be fair, I did buy Cross Tag Battle for you. Because, <laughs> you know, I don't really care for that game, but yeah, I, no. I have both collector's editions <laughs> because of you. And if I had Thank money, you for that. if I Thank had you. more room in my budget, I would actually add those games to my list as well. But I have to be a little more uh, picky. Conservative. Yeah, conservative. Yeah. That's probably the better description. So, George, uh, what are two? So, since we're moving on to the collections portion of your of your Blaz Blue series here, what are two of, of your favorite pieces? Pieces and why? Well, I think uh, one of my favorite pieces is going to be a. Uh, uh, a Mew 12 figure uh, that I got back when I think uh, Chrono Phantasma Extend had come out. That's when it came out. It's uh, Mew 12 is one of the characters from the series. It's uh, an alternate transformation of one of the protagonists, uh, Noel Vermillion. And uh, she has this really nice figure that's sort of a uh, 360 view. You can rotate it. And it's 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 got a great look regardless of where you look at it from, and it's got a light up base as well. <laughs> How, what do you mean by a great look? Oh, I just I just like looking at it. I'm looking at it right now, and I I Mike Mike a good look. <laughs> Mike Mike is our uh, editor, and Mike, I would appreciate it if in the YouTube portion of this, the uh, you uh, put pictures of every angle just to give everyone an idea of why George enjoys having this. <laughs> piece in his collection yeah and it's it was uh it was a huge box when it got shipped so it was uh it was kind of a pricey uh, uh bit of shipping as well as the figure itself because usually figures with gimmicks like that are kind of rare to come by so it's uh, uh it, it it's up there in terms of my collection of uh, uh uh blaze blue items i would say um another one I would say that's uh, one of my favorite ones uh, in terms of uh, high dollar items would be the uh, collector's edition for uh, Blaze Blue Cross Tag Battle, the newest entry on the series. It's it's kind of a div- divisive entry because a lot of people don't consider it to be a real entry into the series, uh, just because it's so different to the Blaze Blue format that we've been led to a- expect from uh, Arc System Works for almost a decade now. Um, yeah, I'd say, I mean, it's more akin to, uh, you know, like Blaze Blue being comparable to Street Fighter and then the Versus series, like Marvel vs. Capcom, to, you know, that's, that'd be more of the cross-tag battle, I think, equivalent. At yeah, least yeah. the idea. So this collector's edition came out from Japan. I ordered it myself. And... Uh, it came with acrylic standees, so the four main characters in the series, which is going to be Hyde from Under Night and Birth, Ragna the Blood Edge from Blaze Blue, uh, Ruby Rose from uh, Ruby, and uh, Yu Narukami from the Persona 4 uh, Arena series as well. Uh, it also comes with a, with a complete soundtrack, which is pretty rare for uh, collector's editions nowadays. They usually come with... Maybe an abridged soundtrack, maybe a, a, a shortened copy of the soundtrack, but it's very rare to see a, a, a full, 
usually two CD soundtrack on a collector's edition nowadays. And this has it, so I thought that was a great purchase as well. Wait, in the Japanese one, it did come with the two discs? Cause... Yes, in the North American one, it didn't, but in the Japanese one, it did. Okay, I guess I really got to open up my copy <laughs> to got that back. Wait, which copy do you have, Frank? I have both. I have the American and the Japanese collector's editions. Oh, okay. Well, how many, yeah, Jap- how, many, uh, how many tracks are we talking about on each disc? Uh, 13 well, uh, for the American, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, uh, but the Japanese one has more of the uh, original tracks as well as some of the uh, older licensed tracks as well. Okay. Since uh, they have less issues with copyright over there, they can usually provide you with a more complete uh, copy of the soundtrack without having to face any of the, of the copyright issues that usually faces with uh, localizations. Interesting. And stay tuned for our next podcast when we talk about the difference between American copyright and Japanese copyright laws. Ooh. Is that going to be a thing? <laughs> it can be. <laughs> it's, our, it's our choice. We talk about what we want. <laughs> all right all so, right that's <laughs> those are your two pieces so um what what piece is it that you're missing from your collection what i'm missing right now honestly is uh the the the, the blaze blue uh soundtrack box that's uh something that came out fairly recently and unfortunately at the time i did not have the the foresight to order it i believed that I would be able to find it in events this year. But unfortunately, all the events this year have been canceled. Huh. So I wonder why. It's, um, it, it's a huge bummer, but uh, I do not have the complete soundtrack box. And uh, I know Frank is uh, giggling to himself right now because he does have it. And he, <laughs> he, he throws it on my face literally every time that I go visit his house. You know? that, that's so, not true. <laughs> I, I've only brought it up three times, I want to say. Oh, three so, times. Of course. Yeah. But that's, of course. that's already two times too many. <laughs> but, you know, I just really want to stress that I told you, I was like, order it, man. And you're like, nah, I'll wait. You know, it was it was not within my expectation that a global pandemic was going to shut okay. down okay. the entirety when? of the fighting game community's events. <laughs> okay, when did it get released, though, George? Uh, it was, what was it, late 2019, I want to say? Okay, but, but what know, specific month? I don't remember. I honestly don't even remember at this point. Okay, while you're... Okay, I'm gonna look it up while you're you're looking uh, while you're talking about this. But anyway, it's a uh, it's it's a beautiful set. It's a it's a multi CD box that comes with the entirety of the Blaze Blue songs that have has have been released. My goodness, I cannot speak tonight since the very first release, which was Calamity Calamity Trigger in Arcade back in 2009. Wait, so again, how many how many discs is this collection? I it it's 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 a whole bunch. It's, I, <laughs> it's how, how many? many ten. It's ten. Yeah, ten. Okay. Because yeah. let's see, I think uh, each game has two discs, which is going to be, of course, Calamity Trigger, Continuum Shift, Chrono Phantasma, Central Fiction. Uh, actually, I think one of them has three discs. Oh, okay. check. Hmm. 
Now, Frank, you have this copy. Have you listened to any of these discs? Yeah, actually, out of all the soundtracks, I'd say I probably listened to Chrono Phantasma the most. But what's That's... the quality of the audio? I mean... Oh, it's, it's it's CD quality. It's amazing. Okay, so it's I not mean... like overly compressed to fit all the audio on there. Oh, no, 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 no. Because, like, each... You know, they, de- they dedicated each disc to have multiple tracks and then there's multiple discs so that there wouldn't be a compression issue at least that's what i'm speculating but chrono phantasma actually is the one <clears throat> that has three discs and then actually looks like four discs discs six through eight because uh that's for me chrono phantasma that's when the series really uh stepped it up because oh, yeah absolutely it reached the uh, it reached its- Peak, or at least close to its peak. A lot of people consider it to be uh, Chrono Phantasma extent to be the best game on the series. I disagree. I think Central Fiction is still the best that the series has ever been. But I mean, Central Fiction is the latest one and the one that we, uh, at least I personally, have played the, mo- the most at this point in time. So maybe I'm a little bit biased. But I guess some people could uh, argue for uh, Chrono Phantasma extent of being the best. It- uh, iteration of the series. Well, I, I can say for sure that I didn't really enjoy the series because I had played it with you guys when they first came out, but I didn't really start to enjoy it until Chrono Phantasma, that initial mm. release. And of course, the yeah. extends, I do agree, is of, of the two, it's better. I haven't played enough central fiction to say otherwise, but I can totally see why Chrono Phantasma gets the attention. Yeah, of course. Yeah, totally agree with that. Okay, so. Now we're moving on to the money portion of our questioning. So let's start with the most expensive piece you have purchased. Uh, The most expensive piece I have purchased, uh, well, in terms of actual value, the most expensive thing I own is got to have to be uh, the hoary stick for Blaze Blue uh, Chrono Phantasma Extent. You know, it's funny because we originally bought that stick both as, uh, when I say we, I mean both myself and uh, Frank here. We bought this stick for, what was it, Frank? About maybe $90, $100 with shipping. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And now if you look at it in Amazon and other websites like that, you cannot find this stick for anything less than $400. So I would say that this was a pretty solid investment. And you want to know what is the cherry on top for my particular stick? It's signed by Hori. It, it's signed by Toshishimi Mori. Which oh, Mori, that's right. Yeah, Mori, the creator of uh, the Blaze Blue series. Wait, how did you uh, get it signed by him? Oh, well, I saw him in Evo 2019 when we went, uh, when we went over. Uh, again, both myself and Frank. Oh, you know what? Let's save this one for the end. <laughs> so yeah, you can oh, give us more details. And uh, just, just so you know, the question was, what's the most expensive piece? Meaning, yes. like, what's the most you've spent? Well, well, not what's, what's, the most you have, what's the most you have paid for a piece? Not what's, oh, well, what's the most valuable piece? The, the most I paid for a piece was that uh, Mew figurine that I was talking about earlier. It was probably close to $300 with everything and shipping. Uh, but Still, not the most valuable one in my collection. I just wanted to bring attention to my stick. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's fine. There's uh-huh. no reason why we can't make exceptions to these questions. These questions are not put in stone. Then we have, of <laughs> course, then what was the 
What was your best steal? Well, I guess maybe you answered that with the Hori, the Hori controller stick. So. Oh yeah, but don't, I wouldn't say only that. Uh, at some point, uh, the Arxis store in North America had a had a sale for all their uh, merchandise for the year, uh, and it was all uh, anywhere between fifty and seventy five percent off. And I managed to get myself a, a couple of Blaze Blue things that way. Got myself a Jubei plushie. Actually, two of those. I gave one to our uh, regular piece of shit friend Manny. He still <laughs> has it. And uh, the other one, I still have it myself. So I, I would say that was a pretty good deal because Manny loved it. It was a, it was a great uh, Christmas present for him. I don't know if you guys remember, but I wrapped it, uh, wrapped it in the shape of a penis. <laughs> oh, yes. I, I do remember. Yeah. Uh, is that the same one that comes with the? Uh, is it the Chrono Phantasma like collector's box from Europe? From <laughs> Europe, yes. There is no other way of getting it. You either get it in the collector's edition from Europe, or you buy it from the Arc System uh, Work Store in uh, North America. Isn't that kind of a weird place to get them? That is. Yeah. <laughs> So, so you wrapped it yourself in the shape of a penis. You didn't have it wrapped. Oh no, 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 no! That was uh, that was that was all uh, our handicraft. <laughs> Wait, our? Ooh. Yeah, <laughs> myself and uh, and uh, my girlfriend Brenda. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So then, uh, so let's go back to your your horse stick being signed. Uh, if if there's more to it, an interesting story behind one of the pieces required. Well, it was just uh, uh, at Evo 2019. Uh, it was the first year that uh, I've been there myself personally, and Frank here was uh, gracious enough to accompany me. Uh, I have won uh, a, a contest by uh, Arc System Works in order to uh, visit Evo. And uh, we we got tickets to the event itself uh, for free for the first uh, the only, for the first two days. Yes, not the Sunday finals, which is what everybody goes there for sometimes. But for the first two days, we did, and uh, it was a great trip. We had we had a lot of fun. Uh, there were some local events here that unfortunately soured <laughs> uh, a, a big portion of the trip for both Frank and myself, but. Uh, I think overall it was a nice experience to uh, to 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 visit Evo, and uh, on what's it the very first day, Frank, that we were there when I got it signed? Um, uh, yes, because we got there, if I'm not mistaken, Friday morning. It was yeah. about uh -huh. ten or eleven, and first thing we did was we went to go check in the hotel. Then we went straight to Mandalay Bay once we were settled, and. Uh, they they had a sign for Mori, and then what, what's the name of the artist? I forget her name. Oh God, I forget her name too. But she is the the the, the main artist for uh, the character select art in Central Fiction. So she drew uh, all the character select art for uh, Central Fiction, and she is the the main character designer for S. So she was uh, she was signing all the the Central Fiction stuff for us. Uh, with a little sketch of S. Very cute. Mm -hmm. What is S? Is that a character? S is a character in, in Central Fiction. She was introduced in Central Fiction 
Uh, she's from one of the spin-offs uh, of Blaze Blue, uh, X Blaze, which is uh, a visual novel spin-off on the now unfortunately defunct PS Vita. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, that was awkward, but yes, I am a PS Vita fan and I will mourn for it until the day I die. Yeah, they are still coming out with games for it, though. I mean, far and few between, but they still are releasing games. They are. They are. That's because it's really the only portable left, because uh, Nintendo kind of abandoned the 3DS as well, but I guess that's a, that's a story for another. Well, I mean, that's typical for Nintendo. They did the same thing to the Game Boy Advance once they, the DS took off, and now that the Switch yeah. has taken off, it's like, well, we're not going to support two systems, especially when, uh, when we already have a all-in-one handheld. And yeah. uh, I do agree. I mean, the Vita itself was a great system. Unfortunately, it just, you know, Sony shot themselves in the foot by not promoting it the way they should have. And uh, it does have a great deal of great games on there, which is why I still want. Oh, so uh, when you guys were at Evo, uh, did you participate in any part of the tournament? Any tournaments? No, unfortunately, I couldn't. Um, by the time we got into Vegas, uh, got settled in the hotel and everything, all the all the tournaments had already started, and unfortunately, I couldn't make it in time for for my first pools because of uh, how long the line was to uh, to to enter into the tournament. It was very unfortunate, but had to deal with it. That is too bad. You ever think you might want to go back to Evo and participate? Oh yeah, for sure. I mean, I was hoping to go back this year, but unfortunately, well, it. <laughs> It, it seems that it might not happen. That is unfortunate, especially with all the COVID-19 stuff going on. Yep. Yeah, that's, that's, that's basically what it is. Now, last, last time we, we chatted about this, you, um, you said you'd gotten a piece of artwork from that artist as well, didn't you? Um, or not what it's no different. it's it, i think what you're referring to is that when he got it signed she actually drew like a little personalized uh drawing of s on so his art book okay so it was just the the additional s drawing on there okay for some reason i thought you had told me a story that he you had also gotten a full like piece of art that she drew for you there at the event oh no it was just a little a little sketch on okay. the on my art book itself, which she did for everyone there, which I thought was really, really nice of her, and uh, and uh, everyone at uh, at Evo was really excited to 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 get her her autograph. So I thought that was a that was a really nice thing that Alexis did for everyone there. Yeah, yeah and it was, uh, the nice thing was is that um, you know they had everybody available and they allowed pictures. Like they didn't charge. Uh, you know. They were very friendly, and you know, considering the language barrier, um, I actually George gave the art book to me because he didn't want to seem overly zealous with you know bringing all these collectors' items up to be signed. So I actually had her sign it on the art book that George gave me. To oh yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, I was just trying to be a little bit cautious, you know. <laughs> I understand. Yeah. So that's but- awesome to be able to get that experience. Of course, yeah, yeah, loved it, man. I, I'm hoping in my heart of hearts that Evo doesn't get canceled this year. But I know 
that it's gonna happen and i it, it not that it's gonna happen but that it's very possible that it might happen and i'm ready to accept it but uh i just i just hope that uh they make 2021 a year to remember since uh we lost uh 2020 to this unfortunate event <laughs> yeah yeah and it's going to continue to affect us uh for times to come it's impacted the way we're doing this podcast and it's probably going to impact our ability to spend time with each other Exactly. All right. So anything else you'd like to add, George? You know, actually, I do want to ask him a question. Um, and we, I, we kind of talked about this before, but what is the rarest piece that you have? Like, b besides, like, what's signed, but, like, what, what piece of merchandise would you say is the hardest to obtain, whether it's expensive or not, just hard to find? <laughs> Uh, so, when the anime for Blaze Blue came out in Japan as uh, Blu-ray volumes, as anime often does in Japan, uh, one of those volumes was bundled with uh, Little Nendoroid for uh, Mew 12, which is, again, one of the characters that I had spoken about earlier. And uh, that has become remarkably hard to find, actually. Uh, it's uh, uh, the original volumes of the Blu-ray were kind of limited in print, so it was difficult for 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 people to find uh, uh, copies of this of this Nendoroid in particular. And I have it in my collection, and and it's it's just another one of the many figures of Mew Twelve that I own, as she's uh, one of my favorite characters in the game. What is it about Mew Twelve that you love so much? Oh well, just uh, she she has a really tragic backstory. Uh, she's uh, actually an alternate form of Noel Vermillion, which, on the end, she kind of takes on uh, a life of her own in the last uh, uh, iteration of the game in Central Fiction, and she becomes a separate entity from Noel. And at the same time, she's trying to uh, justify her existence as an entity while uh, trying to declare her independence from her own. Uh, her old self, and I thought that was a, a a really interesting character arc for the character to be put through. Yeah, interesting. So it's more so about her backstory rather than just her straight up gameplay style. Oh yeah, and and I still think her gameplay style is really fun. I I like uh, Soner characters, and she's basically a prototypical Soner with some rushdown elements to her, which I think, I think are, are uh, fantastic. fantastic. All right. Well, all right. Well, thank you, George. For, yeah. for us? No, oh, of course. I love it that you guys invited me to do this. I, uh, I, I love the, the the sound of my own voice. I'm fairly egoistical. You haven't noticed. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have noticed. <laughs> all right. Thank you, George, for sharing. Uh, we're going to be moving on to Frank, and he's going to be sharing with us Doom. So, get us start off. Start us off here, Frank. Yes. Okay. So, I really didn't start actually collecting Doom pieces for, I mean, for a long time. I'd say probably not until about ten years after I actually played the series. Uh, I did play the original Shareware Knee Deep in the Dead, uh, first episode only. You know, back. Oof, you know, 93 when it came out, uh, 94, and 
I didn't actually play the the full game proper until many years later. I want to say '97 is when I actually played the original Doom on PC. Um, but I, I fell in love with the series because one, you know, it's you're this badass sp- uh, space marine fighting demons from hell. Like, you know, you can't really go any higher than that. <laughs> and uh, you know, I always loved the aesthetics. I loved the the gameplay. I mean, everything about that series, I just fell in love with from, from the first time I played it. So, if, if I can just break in here real quick, uh, how cool is just that de- uh, demo of uh, Knee Deep in the Dead, though? Like, how many times can a person replay the same thing and still get something from it? You know, I remember, even though it wasn't when it first came out, I the the freeware version was still around, and I played it dozens of times. Man, I'm I'm guessing you did the same, right? Oh yeah, like you know, uh, and of course, uh, not being able to play the full game, you know, that was all my Doom experience. So I learned everything about that first episode as much as I could. You know, I didn't get to use the plasma rifle or the BFG until, funnily enough, I played the Super Nintendo version when our friend Mike got it. Um, but you know, just the fact that you know it grabbed, you know, it just grabbed my attention so quickly. And I was obsessed with that game. So that's why I was like, you know what? I'm going to... When I finally did start collecting, I decided to make uh, that as one of my priorities. And I'd say my Doom collection either rivals or is actually bigger than my Silent Hill collection at this point. So... Nice, uh, nice. So yeah, it's just... It's... An amazing series, and even with Doom 3 in there, I still like that game. And <laughs> because it's been around so long, it's actually been really easy to collect for because there's so many pieces, so many things, so many bits of merchandise, toys. Actually, most of the toys that I've seen have come out now, which helps a lot now that I have money compared to when I was young and poor. Now I'm just older and less poor. Or making it difficult to find those pieces later on because. Oh, they're hard to find. So what I was going to say is that uh, when I was in high school, uh, let's see, we're talking about 96, 97 when we were doing this, about the same time you started playing it, Frank. My, mm-hmm. my friends and I had already been playing it because I had been playing it since uh, middle school around the time it originally came out, the shareware version. I never had the full version. Yeah, one that's of, nice. One of my friends, he had a copy of the, uh, uh, the modding kit for Doom in order to make our own levels and in order to... Uh, change the characters and what we did is we replaced all the all the demons in the game with animations of our teachers <laughs> so, so, so you guys are modding and the wads and everything like that right yeah exactly you so, evil people what our teachers approved. I mean, our teachers literally stood in the hallway while we took photos of them and then we meticulously removed the backgrounds and an editing tool and then uploaded those images over the existing sprites in order to create these animations and i mean it took months for us to get it done but it was it was the best thing ever yeah uh and and you know and that's another reason that doom is amazing because you know since its creation uh even though it went into a hiatus for about uh between doom 3 and doom 2016 it was a good 12 13 years 
and what really kept the interest in Doom alive online anyway was the modding community. So oh, yeah. that's just a testament to how amazing this game is. Yeah, and the fact so. that they made it so easy for a modding community to exist. It's not like you had to, you know, go out and buy this expensive modding kit. No. They just they just said, Hey, run with it and have fun with it, guys. Yeah, you know, they they released the source code for every single game so far. I, I'm not sure about 2016, but I know up to Doom 3, Resurrection of Evil, they released all the uh, all the source codes. I mean, right. considering that, you know, uh, a game company would do that, especially in support of, you know, the fans directly, that's, that's just a testament to how amazing it has been to their fans. And that's why we love it. Mm-hmm. Totally, totally, man. If are radical. <laughs> what was that? I don't know. I don't know if that was me or George. The hiccups came back. Mm-hmm. No, the did hiccups did not come back. Did y'all ever see uh, that modded Doom where it was Tim Allen? It was nothing but Tim Allen? Yes. <laughs> where he was everything? And or he was the walls, the weapons, and uh-huh. the sound effects. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, let's move on uh, to the supporting <laughs> questions here. So, Frank, in your uh, collection, what are two of your favorite pieces and why? Okay, so one of my favorite pieces is this uh, diorama of the original cover of Doom, which is called the Knee Deep in the Dead statue. And I got it from... Amazon, but it was released by Gaming Heads, and it's huge. Uh, anybody who's come over to my apartment has seen it sitting on my bookcase, and it's you know got the four demons on it. Well, I'm sorry, five demons on it. The Marines in his classic pose, you know, aiming down, shooting, and you know, I think that was besides the three A figure that I have. That was the first quote unquote Doom statue anything that I had, and that's why it's one of my favorite pieces. Um, unfortunately, my cat has damaged it some. Uh, she did chew off some of the bullet effects and oh, no. like blood splatters coming out of the demons. Like She decided to show on them, throw them away. And then also the gun blast, the bullet coming out of the gun, I had to throw that one away too. And then she somehow broke one of the demon's fingers off, which I still need to glue on, but other than that, it's in pretty good shape. <laughs> Other than all stuff. <laughs> well, I mean, you guys can't tell that anything's wrong with it, so... No, that's yeah. true, because those pieces have been broken for a while, and whenever I take a look at it, unless you tell me, I'm not going to see it. Even the, the finger of one of the demons, I wouldn't <laughs> have noticed it had you not pointed it out. <laughs> yeah, so, I guess that's true, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so there's that, uh... That piece, which, uh, if you haven't seen it, I suggest you look it up. Uh, unfortunately, there's actually two versions of it, and I got the less cool one. There was an exclusive one directly from Gaming Heads that had a light-up base, and I really would have liked to have gotten that one, but unfortunately, at the time, I couldn't afford it. And then when I finally could afford it, that version had sold out, and the only one that I was able to find was the the one that I have, which is, it just has a basic base. It's you know, visually almost the same, except it doesn't have the light-up base. How much more was it? Uh, I think it was actually the same price. It oh, was just okay. it was just directly from Gaming Heads' website, as opposed to 
yeah, me. Okay. Yeah, Amazon. <clears throat> you, just then, to, you just have to be fast enough to get it, right? Pretty much, you know. So there's that piece, and then I've been debating. I think the other favorite piece that I have is probably the ID Anthology, which is a collection of all of ID's games up to 1998 or 99, minus anything that was done in conjunction with another studio. So, like, I think Heretic and Hexton are not in that because they were done with Raven Software. But the the In Anthology box itself, what it originally came with was the Book of Vid, which was like a little art book. And at the end of the art book, it had a CD trays for all the games. It had a Cyber Demon Metal Pewter figure. It had Dog Tag. It had a... Uh, little ID or id card kind of like a, an ID card it had a poster it had a shirt and it had the doom comic book that marvel actually published which was 16 pages um out of the set that i bought the only thing that was missing was the shirt but i wasn't really impressed with the original shirt so I mean, it doesn't matter because I think the original shirts were XL, and I am not an XL. I'm medium, so <laughs> don't have done me much good anyway. Yes, yeah, and that, that Marvel comic is the one with the with the memes, right? Yes, like exactly. the rip and tear. <laughs> <laughs> yes, rip and tear did originate in that comic, which it was a meme for a long time, and then you know Bethesda and ID and their infinite wisdom actually you know, took the reins on that and decided to make it the tagline for the Doom 2016. And, you know, it has become, it's been synonymous with the series, but now it has a more, official. I guess, anonymity. <laughs> official, and I'm trying to think of a word, I'd say. What? My word wasn't good enough? <laughs> well, it's not so much of a parody or a meme. Now it's, it's not, it's more serious. I guess it's a more endearing uh, tagline that goes with the series now. Fair so, so that uh, I did actually order a shirt that has the icon of sin, just like on the it anthology cover, but on a shirt. So I ordered an extra one uh, to put in the box, and then I have one to actually wear. So I feel like that's a good replacement for the original it shirt that actually came in that box. Cool. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so, so I'd say those are my two favorite pieces in my collection. So inside that the that id collection you're talking about, you also said there was a a pewter piece for the cyber demon. Yes. Now, is this yes. for like a like a game piece for a game piece a game set that existed or what? Uh, no, I mean to my understanding, it's just these little collectible figures, uh, these Reaper min miniatures that came out a long time ago, and that was one of them. It does look like those D&D uh, pieces that you can paint. Um, to my knowledge, I don't know of any tabletop game that you can actually use it with, but it does look like it belongs in a tabletop game. And they if produce, I'm wrong, yeah. They produce pieces other than the Cyber Demon then? It wasn't just the Cyber Demon. Oh yeah, they have pretty much every single monster, as a matter of fact. And they just re-released the Reaper miniatures, I think, two years ago. And I was uh, able to get a, a set from Bethesda's store directly. And it has, you know, it's got 
the Doomerine, uh, Soldier, Imp, Demon, Cacodemon, Archvile, Cyberdemon, Mastermind. It's pr got pretty much, I think, all of the enemies, if I'm not mistaken. That's very cool. Wonder then if we should collect them and then create our own D and D world and use. Them. <laughs> that would be pretty cool. Dungeons and Doom, Doom and Dragons, Doom and Doom, Doom and Doop, <laughs> Doom and Doop, Demon. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so then, uh, what pieces or what piece are you still missing from your collection? Well, I'm missing a few. I'd say right now the biggest priority for me to get is actually the original Doom uh, PC box, the big old fat PC boxes that they used to come out with all the time. I, I would like the sh both the shareware version that's got the Knee Deep in the Dead artwork, the Ultimate Doom, and Final Doom for those PC boxes. Um, everything else that I'm missing is pretty negligible because I did manage to get Doom 2, a uh, fat box, so that was nice. I did get Doom Collector's Edition, the Ultimate Doom Trilogy, which was this blue box that I, I think they released it in 2001 or something like that. And uh, I got it on eBay, and let's see what else. So that Ultimate Doom one, though, is a... That's a full box, right? It's not like the uh, the trifold one that I gave you for Ultimate Doom, right? Yeah, it's it's not just a CD case. It's a it's a big old fat PC box, and there's actually two different covers that. I, well, I I think there's multiple covers for it, but the two that I've seen most prominent, uh, one is it's gray and it has the Knee Deep in the Dead artwork. It's just all gray, and then the other one has this really goofy like. D movie demon like on the cover he's all red and <laughs> it looks like a dude who just you know put on goofy makeup it's really funny <laughs> but I'd rather get the gray one because it's it's less absurd looking right so yeah just those PC boxes if I can find them you know at a good price and in really good shape I would really like that I've seen them new uh, sealed but usually they go for a couple hundred even up to $400, and, you know, as much as I like it new, I'm not going to pay that crazy amount, especially if I can get it cheaper, and it still be in good shape. What, how much are we talking about here? Uh, if you're talking about just, like, if it's open? Well, either open, well, yeah, I imagine sealed will be more, but even just open, yeah. Even just opened, if for a decent copy, it's going to cost probably around 100 bucks. Oh, okay. Yeah, I, I've seen some decent ones that are a hundred bucks. I've seen sealed ones. Actually, I, j I missed out on an auction where it was a hundred for Ultimate Doom. It was sealed new, but you know I just couldn't afford it at the time, so I missed out on that. But it's all right. The one that seems to be the bigger pain is Final Doom. I don't know why that's become so expensive, but you know a couple years ago. Actually, I want to say right around 2015, before Doom 2016 came out, it was about 50, 60 bucks sealed, and now if sealed, it's costing about 200 bucks. Wow, that's crazy. I know, and considering Final Doom is not, you know, it's it's sanctioned by ID, but it's not officially from their team. Right. So yeah, 
I don't know. So you have a copy of Final Doom, just not that version of it? Yes. Yeah, a copy came in, the It Anthology, and a copy came in that Doom Collector's Edition that you gave me and that I was able to get on eBay. So, oh, and I do have the PlayStation version as well, but that version is not very good. <laughs> What's wrong with it? Uh, it's mostly a combination of Plutonia, Evolution, and the Master Levels, but it's mostly the Master Levels, which was an expansion for Doom 2. Oh, okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Well then, let's move on to the nitty gritty. Uh, what is the most you have paid for a piece? So the most I paid for the piece is actually the Knee Deep in the Dead statue. That piece cost me about four hundred dollars because it's you know this huge statue. It's <laughs> it's weighty. It's got a lot of pieces. It's painted. So. Can you give us an idea of what the dimensions of the statue are? Uh, yeah, I think the base rough estimate is about 14 by 12-ish. I don't know exactly how much, but it's about 12 inches tall. It's, I don't know, it's I can't really massive. give you... It's the size of a birthday cake, for God's sake. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it I'd say a, it's about the size cake. of a birthday cake, yes. <laughs> the... The Doom Marine figure himself, he looks like he's about one-seventh size, and the demons are about comparable, but they're not full demons because they're magnetized to go actually attach to the base. Oh, okay. Wait, they're magnetized so you can remove the demons from the base? Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah, when you, when you get it, you actually have to put it all together, except I'm trying to remember if the Doom Marine is attached. Let me see. Yeah, Doomarine seems to be attached. I'm not going to mess with that too much. <laughs> yeah, you don't want to break it again. Well, I didn't break it. This, yeah, but you're still going to blame Cammy for it somehow. Mm, no, no, if I, were bro if I broke it, I would blame myself. Just like when I accidentally broke my pyramid head figure when I slammed the door too hard and it fell off my shelf. <laughs> <laughs> what a tragedy. Well, I glued it back. Truly tragedy. <laughs> it back together it's okay all right so so uh, of all the pieces you have which do you think is the most valuable one you have whether that be financially or just personally i don't know it's really hard to say it's because uh it depends on i guess you know the market and what's available like the knee deep in the dead statue i've actually been looking for that uh base that the one that has the light-up base, and I can't even find that one listed other than on Gaming Head's website. Like, I haven't found an auction for it, even in an archived, like, sale for it. So that one, uh, and even even the regular non-light-up base, I haven't found anything but the base on sale lately. Uh, I'd say that one's still probably worth a few hundred dollars. The It Anthology, uh, I did manage to get that, uh, I think, back in 2013. And I've seen it now, even the cheapest uh, incomplete, I've seen it is about 250 300 and I paid 200 for it. Uh, John Romero did release Sigil last year. It was an expansion for the original Doom. It actually bridges a gap between Thy Flesh Consumed and Doom 2. And because it was limited run, those boxes are pretty expensive. Uh, the cheapest I've seen it now is about $300. 
and I do have that and the original, or not the original, but the the smaller PC box because there were two versions of that that came out. Which thanks to my our friend Gino, he helped get that for me for Christmas. So I'd say those are probably the most valuable pieces that I have. Wow! And I know, oh, how I know nice you. of Gino. Look at him. <laughs> He's such a teddy bear, isn't he? (laughs) George, what have you done to yourself? (laughs) All right, nothing. I'm perfectly fine. I'm just, I'm just appreciating what a, what a great friend Gino is. Oh, it seems. Fuck off, George. (laughs) (laughs) There it is. He's back, baby. Yep. Uh, oh, he put himself back on mute. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I'm going to ask you both these questions together because the answer may be the same. So what was the least you paid for a piece and what was your best steal? Um, actually, I'd say that the, the least I paid for a piece is the Doom Slayers collection because that just came out. Uh, late last year, either in November, December, I don't remember exactly how uh, or how, when it came out, but when it was released, it was thirty dollars, and it includes downloads for Dooms one, two, three, and you have a physical disc for 2016. But it is the greatest hits version. Uh, but thirty bucks—that's not a bad deal, considering you know it's got all those games. Well, recently it went on sale for twenty dollars, and I had ten dollars credit on Amazon, so I ended up getting all those games for ten bucks. And I do actually recommend getting the Doom versions on PS4 or Xbox, you know, whatever you want to choose, because you do have the ability to play the add-ons. So you can play the Master, play both TNT Evolution and the Plutonia Experiment, and even Sigil. Uh, plus, I think. No Rest for the Living, and another fan-created one, and I don't remember what it's called, but all those are free. I mean, you know, you, you buy the games, and you can put, put those add-ons uh, in on, on console, which I think is a pretty good deal. Wow, that's crazy. I didn't even know it had all that stuff. I, I, I knew it had the original games, like you stated, in the Doom 2016, but I didn't know Sigil was a part of that add-on package. Uh, yeah. deal. <laughs> yeah, so th- that was the least I paid, but the actual steal, I'd say, is the Ultimate Doom Trilogy Collector's Edition, that, that PC box. Uh, I-, I managed to get that for a-, a decent price. I ended up buying it off of uh, eBay. I, I want to say it was about 27 bucks When it was- originally came out, it was t- uh, $20. And yeah, I mean, I technically paid $8 more, but... Because, you know, a lot of people don't keep PC boxes anymore, except for collectors. I was happy that I was able to find that particular one, because I had been looking for it for a while. And then it was only an auction, so I was worried that I was going to have to pay, like, you know, anywhere between 50 and $100 because of Doom Eternal coming out. But I, you know, I, I put an, a bid in for $24. It stayed at 24 I think my time was 30 or 35 and it never went up, and I won the auction, and I just had to pay the shipping. And so I'd say that was, that was my steal. Yeah, I actually remember you telling me about that one. That, that is a damn good steal. 
yeah, you know, anything, those, just those PC boxes, I, I just love them to death. Yeah, those things are hard to come by in good shape because a lot of times, like, didn't you tell us last time that you had a PC box version, but then you were, you were young and you cut it up and posted it to you? Yes, as a matter of fact, it was actually Final Doom, which is the first Doom game I ever owned. My dad bought it for me from CompUSA, in, in case you don't know CompUSA was. <laughs> it, was a, it was a computer store, and I remember walking in with my dad, and they had a huge display for it. It was like an end cap, but I mean, the thing was, I want to say about 8 or 9 feet tall, and it just said, the new entry for Doom, or something like that, and it had Final Doom, and my dad knows, you know, he knew and still knows how much I love that series, and he's like, hey, Doom, you like that, right? And I'm like, yes, <laughs> and he bought it for me that day, which was amazing. So, that was the first Doom game I owned, and of course, like an idiot, I ended up cutting the box apart, and I kind of put it on my corkboard that I had in my old room in, at my parents' house, which, you know, sadly, I wish I hadn't, I wish I kept it, but, you know, hindsight is always twenty twenty. Right. So, is that your interesting story, or... Did you have another story to share? Well, that was that was pretty interesting to me. I, I was on the edge of my seat the entire time. By God. <laughs> I don't know. It's really hard for me to say as far as interesting stories go because, I mean, most of the stuff I bought is has been online. I'd say, yeah, that's probably my most interesting story, uh, you know, because when I was younger, it was rare that my parents ever got me any video games. Um, I was usually at least a generation or two behind, but, you know, my, you know, my dad was like, oh yeah, you want that? And I was like, yes, I do want that. And it was pretty awesome. And I did play that as soon as I could. And funnily enough, I actually prefer playing the Final Doom uh, wads the most. And that's because I just, I've played Dooms 1 and 2 to death. And as far as difficulty goes, both of those games are really easy now. So playing both Evolution and Plutonia. Plutonia is definitely the hardest of the official wads from back then. So that's probably the one I like playing the most. I I really haven't I I never really went into, you know, all the more popular wads that, that came out like Sunlust and uh I, I can't even remember all of them, but Yes, Plutonia. Oof. It's a hard, it's a hard, hard wad. That's what she's... A hard wad? My goodness gracious. Yes. And for, for those of you who are not familiar with uh, the terminology, a wad is, it stands for where's all the data, and it's pretty much just, you know, the... Hey, the data's right there, right? <laughs> But that, that's literally what WAD stands for? Yes, that's I, literally what it stands for. I never knew that. I think we're all guilty as, as children that, you know, like in the old NES boxes would come a poster, and then we would take that poster and pin it up to our wall. I mean, that's what I did, or I'd tape it to the wall. And, of course, the boxes we just kind of toss to the side and not really care for them because all we cared about was the game cartridge and the game content. And, uh, and now, now we look at it and go like, oh, I wish I had taken better care of that stuff. Yeah, you know, which is why now, you know, as as adults, uh, you know, we go back and we look to collect a lot of these pieces because, you know, we either didn't take care of them or, 
you know, now we can afford to get them and keep them in good condition because now, you know, the, whether it's sentimental or actual monetary value for us, it's, you know, it's a reason for us to collect. Like, it happens with a lot of uh, of the older Nintendo games, right? Like the NES, SNES, and Nintendo 64, they all had cardboard boxes, so it's really difficult to find stuff from those particular platforms that still has the cardboard box intact, right? Yeah, exactly. And then you got games like um, uh, Star Tropics, where <clears throat> there's a there's a map in the box, but you actually needed to put the map in water to reveal a secret to progress in the game. So, so it's very difficult to find oh, a copy no. of Star Tropics with that map intact. <laughs> oh shit! I can imagine dipping that stuff in water, right? Yeah. <laughs> so, Frank, your final question: your rarest piece that you think you have? Oof. Um, probably once again, like either the statue, the anthology box, or the sigil. The sig- both my sigils are sealed, uh, so they're going to stay that way. Uh, everything else I have, I'd say, is either common or at least you can still find auctions for it every once in a while or still every single time you look. So, so just, just to clarify, what makes those sigil copies you have rare compared to just, you know, buy it? Uh, it, was, it was originally produced by Limited Run, and... Even though it was an orp- open pre-order, meaning that they were going to just take as many orders as they could and produce those amount of copies, I don't think it it sold out during the, the window. Uh, or I mean, not that it would sell out, but I don't know how many people actually ordered it. Um, you can still find auctions for it. It's just really expensive. Actually, I just realized my 3-0 figure, which, you know, 3-A became 3-0, that Doomerine... The one six statue, or not statue, but figure. He's actually probably the most rare piece that I have, and mostly because it's really expensive to try to buy one now. Uh, I'd say that goes up for like six, seven hundred bucks at the cheapest if it's opened. If it's sealed, it can go all the way up to a thousand. Oh my goodness! I mean, it depends. Action figure. Well, it's a really big figure, but yes, for an action figure. It's like old school GI Joe size, and more badass. Yeah, because significantly the, more badass. I would imagine. Yeah, the version that I bought was directly from Bethesda, so it also came with like chainsaw and the double barrel shotgun, the little pieces. So that was kind of cool. All right. Well, thank you, Frank. Cool. You have anything else you'd like to add before we move on? No, uh, just that I'm going to definitely buy a bookcase and I'm going to dedicate a whole bookcase just to my Doom stuff because I have so much now that it needs its own bookcase. It's... Uh, I'm wondering if, especially with the full pieces you have, that if bookcases... Probably not, but I'll try <laughs> to just stick as much like at least it'll be dedicated to Doom at the very least. Very cool, man. Looking forward to seeing it when you get it all up. Cool. Thanks. All right, sir. So, uh, third and final for our collections, we have Mr. Bobby Morales. Mr. Morales, sir, would you like your first question? Or would you like to first elaborate on why you started collecting Metroid first? Yeah, let me elaborate on that because I haven't had a chance to chip in. So, I'm going to be sharing my, my love of Metroid with you guys today. 
Uh, you guys all know I'm a, I'm a big Metroid fan. Guys, some of you guys have seen the collections I have here at home. But uh, Metroid is a series I fell in love with when I was young, when I first got my hands on a Game Boy. Um, I got a, had a friend in the neighborhood who was selling his Game Boy for 80 bucks with four games. And the four games included Kirby's Dream Land, of course, Tetris. Um, I can never remember what the third game was. It must have not been that great. But then the fourth game was Metroid 2. And that was my first taste of Metroid, which for a lot of people, Metroid 2 isn't really high on their list of great Metroid games. I, I disagree. I still love Metroid. But, and that's uh, Samus Returns, right? Yes, that's the. Uh, it was originally subtitled Return of Samus for that version. Oh, that's right. That's the great. remake is called Samus Returns. And we'll talk a little yes. bit more about that later. But um, that, that was where I first fell in love with Metroid. And it was because, of course, the exploration elements, uh, the fact that you would find parts in order to upgrade yourself. And then, of course, the challenge of having to destroy all the Metroids. I mean, it was, it was a great adventure, and the, the pacing I felt was great. The, the atmosphere was amazing. And the challenge was, was just, it was enough where it made you feel great sense of accomplishment without frustrating. That's how I felt. And that's pretty much what started my love with Metroid, and I've been playing Metroid ever since. So that's, probably, that's why I collected it. It is my favorite game. Nice. So... Uh, now that you've uh, explained your love for it, uh, what would you like to identify as your two favorite pieces? So my two favorite pieces, uh, my first one is going to be the Metroid Prime Trilogy Steel Cover Edition, which was in limited supply. Uh, it actually came with a uh, steel box with the Metroid logo as a, or not a Metroid logo. It was it was Samus, and it, to, I remember it because I haven't looked at it in a while, being her light suit from Metroid Prime 2, because it's very bright and shiny, kind of silvery. And it was uh -huh. just, just this beautiful-looking cover. And then it also came with a, uh, a uh, poster with the same cover, but on the, it was a flip poster, so on the back, it had a Metroid Prime trilogy where it showed imagery from all three games. And it was just a, a great-looking poster. And then, of course, it was all three games for the Wii, and, it, and they, they retroactively changed the controls for uh for Metroid Prime One and Metroid Prime Two, which were original on GameCube, and you know those the game plays so much better uh in the, with the Wii controls, and we've talked about this before with Resident Evil Four, where as much as we liked Resident Evil Four on GameCube or PS2, depending on where you started on it, the Wii One because of the Wii control, at least to both of us, you and I, Frank, uh love that control scheme so much because it feels so much smooth, it feels so much like smooth butter, and that's what Metroid Prime trilogy feels like now with this Wii control system. On. Plus, they added things like uh, uh, basically their versions of trophies for that specific Metroid games. Certain things you accomplish, things get points that you can then use to trade in to unlock uh, uh, imagery and stuff like. That. So uh, it's it's an excellent experience for the game, but it is a beautiful piece to also just have sitting there. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh no, go ahead. That, no, I was gonna say is that steelbook that that. Bobby's talking about it actually came with a slip cover um, and it's the slip cover specifically says collector's edition so right it was a limited supply and it is considered a collector's edition from Nintendo that's and it's very rare that Nintendo does collector's editions for their game and they do <laughs> oftentimes do bare minimum but still that one came out very nice the it did other piece that I have that I'm happy to have is Samus Returns so that's the remake of Metroid 2 for 3DS that one was actually the one that I have is actually a European release. America, the North American release was only the game, 
with the standard cartridge cover and a music CD. In the European <clears throat> release, it was a full collector's edition where, of course, you had the, the game cartridge cover, but it also came with a replica cover for the game, uh, and it was a replica of the Metroid 2 Game Boy cover or Game Boy cartridge. So it looks like the original Game Boy cartridge. And then, of course, you can use it as a cover for your for your game. And, and, and it's, a, it's a steel case as well, not like just a plastic case. And then it also comes with a, um, uh, what were the other items that came? I think it came with a morph ball. And there, there's some other items in there that I can't remember off the top of my head. But honestly, the part that I loved the most was that steel case uh, in the form of the Metroid 2 cover. And then just the box itself, I mean, it's a beautiful, beautiful piece. It's got this, this kind of shadowy look on Samus's helmet, which is very finely detailed in the, from the new game engine. And, um, and I mean, just the presentation is great. Uh, so being able to get that European cover that was never released here, like it's like, damn you, Nintendo of America, why don't you ever release the good stuff here? It's not the first time that you know uh, Europe gets better collector's editions than we do here in North America, and then we end up having to pay ridiculous amounts of money in order to get them sometimes. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, if if I'm not mistaken, uh, the 3DS is still region-locked, correct? Um, you know what? I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, I don't remember. It, it probably would be when Nintendo does do that. Yeah, you know what? It is because now I do remember because the DS was not the original DS was not region locked, but when they re- announced the 3DS, it is. So yeah, I probably won't be able to play that version. But I mean, I have the North American version anyway. Yeah, I mean, there's not going to be any gameplay difference anyway. So yeah, exactly, there's no reason to open it up. And then that that cover, I mean, that box that you got, I I, I remember seeing it at the on the top shelf of your your display case and uh I, we talked about it it's got kind of like this not lenticular but you know this this beautiful art gino what is it called again are you there gino i don't know if he's there uh. <laughs> but it, it you know it, you have to look at it at different angles and it has you know you know, di- different parts of the picture that you can see, and it's just this beautiful artwork. Uh, I highly recommend you look it up uh, when you can, because that, that box, the presentation, is just immaculate. Okay, <laughs> so you. those are your two favorite pieces. So what would you say you're still missing? Uh, so the piece I'm definitely still missing is the GBA, the Game Boy Advance version of Metroid Zero Mission, which is the remake of the original Metroid. So, unfortunately, Metroid has had a uh, pretty up-and-down history as far as sales. Some games sell incredibly well, and other games, unfortunately, do not. That is about the series that it has such a great following, but it doesn't usually result in in, in, uh, great sales. sales. Yeah, so what ended up happening with Zero Mission is it was released in... uh, in short supply because when uh, Metroid Fusion had been released at the same time as the original Metroid Prime on GameCube, even though Metroid Prime broke a million sales, Metroid Fusion didn't fare as well. And so I think Nintendo's fear was that people weren't going to buy very many copies of Metroid Zero Mission. So then uh, they didn't release that many copies. And because of that, there's not a lot of copies to go around. And I never got it when it first came out like I wanted to. I, I was in college at the time. I didn't have the money for it, you know, and... And then since then, you know, starting a family, you know, money's got to go towards the family. So, of course, I can't be going out and buying that stuff. And unfortunately, because of the retro market, and we've talked about this before, 
<clears throat> it's it's difficult to find um, a complete copy in good shape at a decent price. Now I can find the cart itself probably for about 40, 50 bucks in good shape. I found it as low as 35 online. But the issue with being it online, a lot of those Game Boy Advance games can often be uh, fake where people can just switch off the cover and put in something else or switch the cover out or in some it's cases... It's a repro. It's a repro, right? Or it's just a completely different game internally. They keep the cover the same. And so there have been incidents where people have done gun stuff like that. So I'm fearful about buying it online and I'm more comfortable going to a store, uh, one of these retro stores like Game Over and and seeing if I can buy it from them directly. That way I can test it out there. But it's been difficult, like I said, to find it. Or when I do see it, I just don't. But that is yeah. the piece I'm missing that I need the most. Yeah, what about... Uh, I noticed that there's a, a GameCube that came with Metroid Prime. Um, have you ever seen that version? It, and it's got Samus on the cover, like yeah. on the box itself. I've seen it, and uh, I haven't really searched for it to try to purchase it because it was never really high on my list. I think I want to complete my game collection first before I start looking at specialized products like that. Yeah. Understandable. So, definitely Metroid... What was it called again? Which one? The, the one that you're looking for? The Zero Mission. The Zero Mission, that's right. The remake. Okay, so... Next question, sir, which is going to be, what was the most expensive piece that you ever, or the most you've paid for a piece? So the most I have paid for a piece was the uh, the collector's edition of Metroid Samus Returns. Since I did have to order it online from Europe, um, I don't remember which country I ordered it from, but um, I do remember. So when it originally released, I want to say it was something in the neighborhood of like, uh, it's like 80 pounds or 90 pounds in the UK, which of course is like, you know, almost a hundred dollars here. Mm -hmm. So it probably would have retailed at around ninety hundred dollars here. Uh, and then I had to purchase it from them for about 110 and that was before shipping. Shipping was like another 15, $16. So mm -hmm. that's the most I've paid for a piece, but I only did it cause it was a collector's edition. I probably wouldn't pay that much for another piece in the zero mission. If it was complete, I don't think I'll ever get it complete nice of that be unless i find a great deal for it but uh that piece is the most i've paid for so far and uh i probably don't see myself paying any more than that unless you know i have the extra funds to do so <clears throat> no it's understandable i mean and that is a, a beautiful piece the, the zero mission it never came out like a, a like a special version it's just the the box and the cart right yeah yeah zero mission no there's been very few special editions for Metroid. The, uh, of course, Samus Returns. Um, Mother M had a, a special edition on release that basically is just the game that came with an art book. I don't remember there being a different European release for it. I think Samus Returns on 3DS was the first one where Europe got a different version than ours. And then, of course, the Collector's Edition Prime. Yeah. All the other games have been released basically pretty standard. And, of course, like you said, with the exception of the, of the Silver GameCube that came with that version of Metroid Prime. Okay. Someone wake All up. Right. Someone wake up, George. <laughs> so, uh, you know, talking about the the most you paid for a piece. Now, uh, what's the least you paid for a piece, or you know, what would you consider a steal? Um, well, the least I paid for a piece, 
Uh, and it's probably steals probably the both of them was that copy of Metroid 2 on the Game Boy because I mean I paid 80 bucks and I got the Game Boy in four games and we're talking about the time where the Game Boy was still retailing for around $100 and uh, and of course each game was about you know $30 a piece so to be able to get four games in a Game Boy for only 80 bucks that was probably the best deal I had I mean especially because it gave me a game that I completely fell in love with god damn it George <laughs> So that was probably both the least I paid for and the best deal I, I had for, for the game. <laughs> I'd say that's a pretty good deal. <laughs> Wait, so those uh, the Game Boy with the games, it was just the games, right? They didn't come with the boxes? Uh, so the Metroid 2, I do have the box for. I still have the original box for it. The um, what was it that I didn't... I didn't get the boxes for... Of course, Tetris didn't come with the boxes. I didn't get the uh-huh. Game Boy box. Um, and the Kirby's Dream Land did not come with a box. So I didn't have those. But the Metroid 2 uh, did come with a box from the friend I bought it from. So I still actually have that box. Um, unfortunately, I did sell the Game Boy with all those Game Boy games I had in order to get some uh-huh. money. But I kept the Metroid 2 box for whatever reason. And uh, and I still have it to this day. And now I do have a copy of Metroid 2 from a friend who gifted it. Oh, nice. So you're able to put it in your in your box, and now you have a complete copy. Yep. Awesome. So I did the next question. Let's see. What's an interesting story behind a piece? So probably the most interesting story I have. It's a story I always love to tell. Um, here. Oh, I texted Brenda to wake up George. Yeah, we can hear him waking him up. <laughs> George, are you awake now? You can hear him. You're moving. I am. I am. I am. I am <laughs> now up. you are. Now I am. <laughs> I am up. You are snoring. This, this podcast is going to oh, be I great. Was. We have you snoring on the podcast. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> uh all right, so I am I am gonna sign out for now. Is that okay? Yeah, that's that's fine. A, that's fine we George. got your we got your okay. Your bit. All right. Thank All you, right. George, for tuning Thank into for this podcast. Me, guys, I appreciate you. We'll and, see you next uh, time. I hope everyone enjoys it. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, can you restart your interest? Yeah. So uh, story. Just go ahead and ask me the question again. Okay, so what's your most interesting story? You need to leave in the snoring, by the way. No, no, yeah, the snoring's the snoring's gonna stay in there. <laughs> most interesting story. So my mi- most interesting story uh, actually deals with Super Metroid. It's a story I, I love to tell, just because as a kid it, it was such a great feeling. So it was my birthday. Uh, my my Metroid came out in North America same month as my birthday, which. It was released in Japan in March, came out in America in April, and I really wanted a copy of it. Super Nintendo was the only console I had. I was always a big Nintendo fanboy. And so I told my parents I wanted uh, Super Metroid, and my dad, <clears throat> you know, we had a party at my house. It was a small thing. You know, we had pizza for my friends. Mm-hmm. And I had like four or five friends over, and we had cake. But my dad, you know, instead of, you know, wrapping the gift and bringing it out and happy birthday, my dad got a cardboard box 
and he covered it in some kind of a poster paper and then he drew on it and what he did is i don't know how many of you guys are going to know this game show let's make a deal show from the 70s uh, where a bunch of people were in the audience and they would come up and there would be three doors and the people would have to decide which door not to pick and then they would reveal what was behind that door and then the last two doors they would have to pick one of them and so my dad played the role of monty hall who was the host of the show and he created the let's make a deal door so there are three doors and behind one of the doors was a game and but of course i didn't know that at the time i didn't know what was behind one of the doors uh last time i told this story george jokingly said that behind one of the stores was a million dollars and behind one of the other doors was an ivy league education so apparently i got super metroid and you know i tell you right now no regrets you can't miss what you didn't have nope <laughs> but when my dad came out you know he did this montreal spiel like i i'm not a, i'm not as good at this stuff like my dad is my dad knows how to do characters and and uh, and and express himself in in very humorous ways, but you know basically what it comes down to is he comes out and he says, "Well, okay, we have these three doors, and uh, which door are you not going to pick from? Which one do you want to reject?" And I was like, oh, and I'm pretty sure I rejected door number one." And uh, he goes, "Okay, well, let's see what's behind door number one." And he opens it up, and I think it was just like you know like some kind of stupid card that said, "Hey, happy birthday, kid!" And you didn't get anything. <laughs> <laughs> And of course, my friends were all like, oh, dude, what door are you going to pick? And I was like, oh, God, I don't know what to do. What door do I go for? And I finally decided to go for door number three. And my dad starts opening the door and he looks inside and he looks at me and he's like, oh, I don't know, kiddo. Maybe you should have picked door number three. I'm like, oh, man. And he pulls out and says, because this is all that's in here. And he hands it to me and it was Super Metroid. <laughs> and I was like, oh, yes. I was all super excited because it's a game I've been wanting, you know, <laughs> I, I still remember listening to the advertisements for Super Metroid, and there'd be, they, they would say things like, this cartridge has 24 megabytes of action. And it's like, oh, crap, this is incredible. This is the biggest cartridge Nintendo's ever released with a game up until they released uh, Super Street Fighter 2 with the 32-gig cartridge. But Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, so, and I mean, and it was incredible. And then, of course, you know, then going to the room and, and popping in on Super Nintendo, my friends joining me, and just, just the introduction, the atmosphere of that intro that just hearing the Metroid chirp and the, and the, the eerie music playing and then it doing zoom ins and you can see dead bodies on the floor and you're like, wait, is that an actual dead body? You didn't, you didn't believe what you saw. And, and then it zooms out and then you have the music, the doom, 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 doom. It was, it was, it's just such an amazing experience. And then to go through that initial level in the, in the space station, and have to deal with Ridley right away at the very beginning. So at the time, I didn't know who Ridley was because I never played the original Metroid. Uh, mm-hmm. My only experience was Metroid 2, but I knew where the Metroid came from. I knew it was the Metroid I rescued at the end of Metroid 2. Sorry, guys, spoilers. <laughs> so so it, it was such a great experience to be able to play a game that continued on and, uh, and picked up basically right where you left off and get right back into it. And it was beautiful to watch, and it played gloriously. I, I play that game every year at least once or twice a year play through it i have to as a matter of fact i'm probably gonna uh, live stream a playthrough of it in april since that's when it released here in north america as a anniversary thing but yeah to this day still still my favorite game of all time not just my favorite metroid game but period my favorite game ever and i love it yeah i remember watching you play it now quick question okay so uh i'm not as familiar with the metroid uh, series um, as you are, obviously, um, between the original Metroid and Super Metroid, 
a lot of these other games they actually take place between the events of those two games, right? So Metroid Prime technically takes place between Metroid and Metroid Two. There are references, yeah, Return of Samus, and uh, there are references to the original Metroid and Metroid Prime, but the um, the uh, one of the original creators of Metroid. So okay, so Metroid originally was created by uh, um oh my god i completely forgot his name off the top of my head but the original creator of metroid he's the one who worked on on the mainline series so you have metroid metroid 2 super metroid then uh the number four in the series is actually oh crap oh, what god. happened my cat what dropped happened? my water on the floor <laughs> what was the fourth one in the series he uh the fourth game in the series is uh, Metroid Fusion, and then Metroid Other M is actually chronologically the fourth one because it takes place after Super Metroid, but before Metroid Fusion. And then there are no Metroids after that. Metroid Fusion is the final game in the series so far, and then the Prime games are supposed to take place between one and two. But occasionally the, the there was a time where the original creator of the series came back and said, that Metroid Prime is like a a, a Gaijin series, like uh, you know, it's a side series. side story. Right, mm -hmm. it's a side story or like a what if or something like that. So there's a lot of debate as to whether it fits in or not. I mean, honestly, when you go look at it chronologically, it, it I find it I find it hard to fit into the main storyline as much as I'd like it to be there because there are things that Samus has or has experienced that then don't fit in with the other games. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's, I'm fine with it being its own series. I think that's okay. Uh, that's probably part of the reason why it has the moniker Metroid Prime. Originally, yeah. it was titled Metroid Prime because the, the space pirates were creating a, a new Metroid using this chemical called Phazon, and they referred to it as Metroid Prime, and that's your final enemy. But then it becomes this thing where the Phazon creature that's inside that Metroid Prime uh, copies basically copies Samus and creates the Dark Samus character for, which is the main villain of Metroid Prime Two and Three. Well, more of a side villain in Two and the primary villain in Three. And mm -hmm. uh, and then they'll do things like um, in Metroid Prime Three they introduce these uh, these brain characters, which are very much seem to be based off of the Mother Brain villain, which was the main villain for Metroid One, the original Metroid, and then of course Super Metroid, mm -hmm. and. See, and so it's never made clear to me that those computers are supposed to be supercomputers. Are you know, like it doesn't make it, it would make sense to me, like Mother Brain exists because it's a rogue supercomputer, and so it doesn't work for the uh, uh, uh I, I forget off the top of my name, I forget the name of the, the group, oh, the Federation, that they don't work for it, doesn't work for the Federation. So, but it's never made that they never make that connection directly in three so it may be that they're respecting the wishes of the original creator and saying well we'll just kind of do our own thing in metroid and we'll keep it apart from the mainline two series mm -hmm. so that that may be the case i mean nothing official has come from nintendo to my knowledge i mean i i follow it but i'm not i'm not following so closely because to me it's not really important that metroid follows a, a specific storytelling line i'm not so bought into it where where it's like, oh, I, I, I like, like, there's this old story in the Metroid, in the Nintendo Power magazines, where they told the origin story of Samus Aran, and and she, that's where she meets this uh, Chozo called Old Bird. So, basically, long story short, short, which is probably too late by now, 
Samus's parents were were killed off by space pirates in the story, and uh. she gets adopted by Chozo, an old Chozo named Old Bird, and um, and they make references to that in uh, the Metroid Zero Mission game. So it's like in Zero Mission, they're kind of retconning the original game and now saying Zero Mission's the main game because at the end of Zero Mission, there is a reference to Old Bird and uh, and Samus as a child. Okay. Yeah, see, that's that's where I get a little confused and everything like that. It's not as bad as the Zelda timeline, but, you know, the retconning, that's, that's always been pretty big, especially when, you know, new games come out and, you know, even people who are originally... Uh, still creating for the series, you know, they decide, okay, well, I want to change this because before we, we didn't do it because of technical limitations or, you know, story-wise, we didn't, you know, have the time for it. You know, kind of like with Resident Evil where they did the remake, which retconned a lot of what the original game had. Right. And a lot of times they'll do that because then they want the the series that the games have come after to make more sense with the Yes, absolutely. Oh, that's good. I, I didn't know a lot of those things. So, thanks for enlightening me. Hey, no problem. So, uh, two more questions. Um, or is it one more? Let's see. I'd say one more question, which is, what is the rarest piece that you have? I would probably have to go with that Metroid Prime Steelbook Collector's Edition. Metroid Prime Trilogy. Just because it was such a limited release, like they did do a, a, a second release, but it was in the uh, the standard white box for the Wii's, and uh, and the cover it was the same cover, but then it also had one of those like orange labels on it. I can't remember what the orange labels. It wasn't even the full cover. Blocked off uh, some of it art. Yeah, it wasn't Player's Choice because that was GameCube. I, right, right. I can't remember what it says. It wasn't a it wasn't a label like that. Like you know, one of the best or one of the style thing it was more like uh you know <laughs> contains the originals whatever you know, one of those kinds of and um but yeah they they did re-release it in a white box which i don't have a copy of fine copy of it um i mean the nice thing about the wii with it being so easy to mod i mean all i did was copy the the disc i had for prime trilogy my wii u or mm-hmm. onto my wii itself so that way i'd never have to worry about using the disc i'll just play it directly and so that, yeah, that collector's edition is probably the rarest piece I have. I know Fusion isn't exactly a rare piece, but because, again, it didn't sell particularly well, there's still a decent number of copies out there, but it's probably the rarest piece I have. Nice. And uh, what about that European collector's edition? Uh, How rare would you say that is? Not particularly. Just uh, unfortunately, uh, I was watching a video the other day about you know games that that got a lot of uh, great reviews but just did not sell. Uh, Samus Returns was one of them, unfortunately. It sold well in Japan, uh, but in Europe and in North America, apparently it did not sell well at all, which is nowadays I, I go online on eBay and I'm still able to find copies of that special edition I have from Europe and pretty much about the same price I have it at that I purchased it at. It hasn't really gone down. Um, but obviously there's still a lot of, a lot of boxes out there. And so, yeah, that, that, that edition is not particularly rare. Or maybe, maybe it's just not in high demand. I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. But, yeah, you can definitely still find it. Cool. Alrighty. Uh, oh, and actually one more question is, what would you say the most valuable piece is? You know, the one that's gone up in value that's going to be 
you know, worth the most if you were to sell it. Again, that Metroid Prime trilogy. Um, I mean, I still have it complete. I mean, it's opened, obviously, but I still have the slipcover, which is in good shape. And, of course, the steel case, the disc is in great shape. All the internals in there. I've gone on eBay and people selling that one um, sealed, uh, you know, goes for 100 125 easy and the open one is valued at about uh eight dollars so <clears throat> that's probably the most valuable piece i have the only reason my super metroid copies aren't more valuable is because uh, they're not complete it's cartridges those still go just the card alone for about uh, 45 50 depending on market value at the time it, it you know with metroid with it being one of those weird series that you know becomes really popular when a good game comes out and it not being very popular when a bad game comes out, the, the prices will vary I'm a year or in between, really. Oh, okay. Nice. Anything else you want to add? No, just um, if you guys do not play Metroid, you should. a lot of the games that we play nowadays really are based on a lot of the fundamentals that Metroid created in regards to exploration. It was one of the first games that really it wasn't so much the first game to do what it did but it did it in such a masterful way that other games it became, copied it yeah it became synonymous with metroid first right and uh, i know a lot of people refer to metroidvania as because uh, castlevania particularly symphony of the night then started using that style and refined it even more uh but a lot of the recognition of that super metroid game and pretty much every metroid game from from here on out has followed that same template because it works so well and it creates a lot of opportunities for you to explore things uh find things feel a sense of uh accomplishment when you find these things that then move you on to your next location and you know from a from a standpoint of game design it's a really great way to make people feel that they're getting stuff done and ultimately that's what a game is for it's a it's ordered to create a sense of accomplishment ourselves, so that way we can feel good about ourselves. And Metroid does a really good job about that. Nice, cool, man. Uh, thank you very much for sharing. All right. Well, does uh, George has uh, left us? Uh, he even sent us an apology. He said, "Sorry, guys. I guess Morpheus sprinkled me with magic sand, and I couldn't keep my eyes open on my chair. And that's okay. That's okay, George. We know you work hard." And uh, we know sometimes that it's hard for you to stay awake. <laughs> James, you've been uh, fairly quiet for the extent of this uh, podcast. Did you have anything you want to share about any of the games we discussed? Uh, well, I don't have um, very many collections on particular titles. Um, I do enjoy Doom quite a oh, bit. What? Uh, since Doom Eternal has come out at this point, do you want to just share some thoughts about what you think about it? Yeah, let's do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, so, I guess I was going into it with uh, fairly high expectations, um, just because I love Doom uh, 2016 so much and was very excited about uh, Doom Eternal. And it's pretty much lived up to what I was expecting. Uh, it's a lot harder than. I was expecting, I'll tell you that, but um, I'm thoroughly enjoying it. Uh, it's a good challenge, uh, something to keep me busy. That's good, because the way you're starting that piece, I thought you were going to say, well, I didn't live up to my expectations. <laughs> no, it actually did. Uh, 
it did a fairly good job of living up to my expectation of what uh, what uh, Doom has has become now. And especially, you know, um, because there's more story elements in it now. What do you think about that? Because, I mean, one of the biggest criticisms that I've seen is that people, or at least some some online critics, are not really big fans of all the cutscenes compared to, you know, 2016, and especially how much they've expanded the lore. What do you think about that? Um, I, I like the way they're doing it here, um, where it's not... Well, I can see how some people would, I guess, uh, not be a fan of how they're telling the story uh, in in Doom Eternal. Um, you do kind of have to, uh, you know, find um, collectibles to kind of figure out what's going on. Um, yeah, one of the things that um, I found interesting is you come across a character that you've never seen before, he interacts with him, and this is in Doom Eternal, by the way. Um, he inter- uh, Doom guy interacts with him, but you don't really know who he is. Uh, I guess the uh, the computer, what's his name, Vega, mm-hmm. yeah. explains. Uh, you know what your mission parameters are, what uh, what you what you're looking for, but um, you kind of have to find these little collectibles. And read up on the per- on who the person actually is. Uh, I can see why some people would find that uh, kind of annoying. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's a fair criticism, but I mean, the gameplay itself, uh, I don't, I don't think really takes a hit. Um, the pace compared to the pacing of Doom 2016, I'd say this is a bit slower because there are so many cutscenes. And, you know, parts where they're really incorporating the story. But I don't really see that as a bad thing. But, uh, you know, I'm a big Doom geek, so I don't I don't mind it. But I don't yeah, think they're, they're ex- excessive anyway. No, and it's, uh, it's not one of those things where it's completely driven by the narrative. Uh, the narrative is there to support the gameplay. Would you agree to that? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, because the gameplay and it, it's it's evolved. I would say absolutely that it's evolved. It's I'd say it's even more faster paced than Doom 2016. Yeah, and uh, I think I made the comment earlier that it's more complex too. Uh, you have now more abilities, um, more you have gadgets. items. Yeah, more gadgets to work with. Um, uh, you know, they have. Uh, uh, a gadget there, the was it the flame belch is basically like a debuff, uh, for, you know, for the enemies. Um, and so you have there's a little bit more strategy, and I can see how when you mix in with the um, the strategy with the more fast paced gaming uh, that it has, um, you, it kind of keeps you on your toes the entire time. Uh, I'm kind of gripping my controller a little harder than usual. And my palms are sweating a little bit more while playing this game, which I'm having fun with. Uh, it's not something that's so overtly frustrating, but enough to keep me on my toes. And then it gives you these, you know, you know, once you hit the story parts, it gives you time to breathe and relax a little bit because you were white knuckle the whole time. And then 
we have a story portion that kind of breaks in between and it like gives you time to kind of take in everything and relax a little bit and then it throws you back into it again yeah that's fair enough i i can agree with that you know it's funny your description of of doom uh eternal like that it reminds me very much of the way people describe metroid prime 2 since the original mm-hmm. Metroid Prime isn't particularly challenging. I mean, it's, the exploration is there, but in order to beat the game, it's not like you have to 100% it. Uh, you know, a couple of the bosses can be challenging, but overall, the game, anyone should be able to get through it. But a lot of the complaints for Metroid Prime 2 was that it's, uh, it was a lot tougher. The bosses were a lot harder. Even the main enemies were tough. And then when you... Metroid Prime 2 works around this concept of uh, alternate worlds where... You have a light world and a dark world and so whenever you enter the dark world you're you take damage if you're not in any light areas so there are these torches that give you like this bubble of light to hang out in but when you move in between those bubbles of light you take damage and then when you're fighting enemies you're constantly taking damage while also trying to avoid enemies so it ups the challenge there and like you said you have these white knuckle battles and then in between you have this breaks in tension with some storytelling or in the case of metroid some safe exploration and uh that that you know usually that smart game design of it's balanced well yeah because it doesn't make the game boring um with you know a lot of the a lot of times you have too much story going on too many cutscenes, um in between gameplay uh or right in the middle of gameplay yeah it's not a hideo kojima game yeah (laughs) or uh or a last of us are kind of um kind of game were very heavily story driven, but uh, I think it mixes the two very well. I can see why, again, why some people would be annoyed because you're introduced to characters you've never seen before, and you're like, well, "What's going on? Who is this guy?" And you kind of have to find something to kind of explain what this person's background is, uh, and it's a collectible too. Yeah, yeah. I, I tell you, well, my biggest issue. In regard to the story and all the cutscenes and everything we've seen so far, is that there's a pretty big gap between 2016 and Doom Eternal that they completely ignore. You know, because with the way 2016 ends, you know, it's very. It's, you know, spoilers, uh, Doom, you know, Doom Guy, he's stuck in hell, and Samuel Hayden's taking the Crucible from him. And Doom Eternal starts, and, you know, Hell is already taking over Earth, and Doom guys in his space station, the Fortress of Doom. So, it's like, how did he get there? Uh, you know, I, I haven't seen anything that would explain how or why he's there. Um, that's you, my biggest complaint. Have you beat the game yet, Frank? I have not, but I have a friend who has, and still spoilers, you know, he says that's never explained. So, okay. yeah. I'm pretty sure you haven't seen anything like a comic or... Because a lot of times they'll put out... Um, there is an art book, actually, I just got. but And sometimes, it, uh, like the Art of Dune 2016 did have a little bit of story elements and stuff like that in there. But, I mean, I haven't really looked into it. I'll probably d- delve more into it once I beat the game. And see if there's an explanation, um, if there's like a YouTube video that does explain it. So, but right now I haven't seen anything yet, and not to say that it doesn't exist, I just haven't seen it. I think there's enough information here where 
we could definitely do a podcast comparing the original Doom games to these new Bethesda versions just to talk about, and that way we can go into more details about those kinds. Yeah, oh yeah. I mean, I could probably spend a couple hours, you know, just talking about like Doom Three all on its own. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. Well, anything else before we close out tonight? No, that's that's it for me. Uh, I'm really glad we got to redo this, and you know, I, I feel this this was a little more high quality. Plus, we got some snoring and some hiccups. <laughs> Definitely more to laugh at. <laughs> literal hiccups oh man and next episode what are we thinking uh, so next episode maybe the arcade one we could definitely do some arcade uh, some of the ideas we had coming up uh, were we haven't done a fighting game episode which I think is hilarious considering our whole purpose of our group was initially fighting games uh, we had mentioned before about doing either a Street Fighter episode, but I like the idea of doing a Street Fighter MK episode. And Mortal Kombat, yeah. yeah. And um, we'd also looked at, uh, you have a Clock Tower series, I have my Legend of Zelda series, Gino wants to do Mega Man, uh, but in order to change things up, we can definitely do arcades. we got a couple other friends in our group who've been wanting to do a podcast with us, but they've been waiting for us to do the arcade thing, so that's definitely a possibility, but we can discuss that later and nail it down. Go from there. That sounds good to me. All right. Yep. Well, thank you guys for coming in tonight. Appreciate you being here tonight, Frank, sharing Doom and James stepping in and uh, just giving us your tidbits along the way. Yeah, no problem. And and Gino for his uh, far and few between, but always very appreciated comments, especially calling out George with his bullshit. Yeah, I actually (laughs) mentioned Hideo Kojima earlier, hoping to trigger him, but. Never came. <laughs> That's right. <It> did. <laughs> uh, we we love we love Gino, and our love for him is almost as great as his love for Hideo Kojima, uh, which I do not fault him at. I mean, I totally get why he loves the storytelling. Honestly, uh, his Gino's love of Hideo Kojima's storytelling uh, rivals my love of Yakuza and that series version of storytelling. Because in a way, they're two sides of the same coin, uh, whereas uh, Metal Gear Solid can be very... I guess it's serious for the most part, though I'm, I know there's uh, jokes and things that go out through the game. But Yakuza, on the other hand, is an insane storytelling uh, that's very over-dramatized. And, uh, well, I guess that's really not that different than Metal Gear, is it, guys? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I totally see that. But anyway, we're going we're gonna to go ahead and close out here. So thank you to everyone who has been keeping up with our podcast and following us along. We really appreciate the support. Before I close out, I want to leave us with uh, one very humorous thing I was just looking at. And um, this lady bought a car today, and the dealership had her check off with pen on paper, mind you, that she is not a robot. And there's a photo of the of the uh, of the, the paperwork. It's a captcha that says I'm not a robot. <laughs> and there's a little check mark and of course her signature blurred out. So this is the world we live in now. <laughs> well, I mean uh, I'd say. I I think that's a good way to end. 
Very true. All right. All right. Well, thank Good night, you, everybody. everybody. Good night. All Good right. night, guys. So how about that, George, huh? A real firecracker. Right up until the moment he's caught snoring. Now, in his defense, he does often work long hours. On the other hand, well, I'll just keep that thought to myself. So, who would have thought that Blas Blue would have such a rich history of collectibles in such a short period of time? Doom and Metroid are significantly older than Blas Blue, yet it could be argued that Blas Blue at least matches Doom and far surpasses Metroid in that department. Granted, much of that love comes from Japan, while the love of Doom could be considered primarily American nostalgia. Metroid, on the other hand, has never had the following that either of those two games have, whether it be in its home country or internationally. It is recognized for its merits in game design, atmosphere, and even music, yet it has never garnered the type of following games of its ilk properly deserve. Well, I mean, that's my opinion. Ultimately, we collect for specific series not because they are popular, but because they have reached inside the deep recesses of our souls and touched something we didn't know was there. They have brought out in us a passion to engulf our being in their world and lore. We collect not because it makes us popular, far from it actually, or richer, <laughs> usually poorer. No, we collect because we want to. And what better reason do you need? So get collecting. Thank you for tuning in to this week's podcast. We'll be back in a couple weeks with an episode on arcades. You know, those big single game console machines that you can find at your local pizza or movie theater. Stay healthy and stay safe. Peace!